Well, this is the Let It Be Us podcast, and I am Ross Cochran. You know who you are, and I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we are going to be having a conversation that I think is really critically important for all of us who are invested in the foster care community, and especially for those of you who are joining this conversation for perhaps the very first time. If you've heard anything about the foster care system, I bet it hasn't exactly all been positive. But there are certain things that are within our control as foster care advocates or foster parents, and there are certain things that aren't. But one of the things that is in our control is what we're going to talk about today, and that is what we would call just the challenges that come with parenting and the sort of spectrum that can come with that. We've labeled that for purposes of conversation, um, how we parent through the challenges of foster care from the spectrum of just parenting and how parenting is really hard, all the way to diagnosable difficulties, which are on, which are a line on the spectrum, and even further on that line on the spectrum, go to a place of specialized care. These are terms that you may have heard of, but if you don't, if you haven't heard of them, and if you're not sure what I'm talking about, don't worry. I have two experts who are here to help. I am joined by Dr. Heather Risser and Kathy Newberry. Heather is from Northwestern, an amazing team there, and Kathy is from the wonderful team at Let It Be Us. So let me first just say thank you both for doing this. Thank you, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Heather, let's start with you. Can you help folks understand a little bit about what you do at Northwestern? What is the scope of your work there? Yeah, so I run a lab called the Parent, uh, the Family Care Lab, uh, Family Care Parenting Lab, sorry. Uh, and we really try to support parents uh, with a variety of evaluations, resources, advocacy, and um, coaching. Uh, because we know that parenting isn't an easy job, uh, whether you have uh, one kid or multiple kids. And each of those kids are going to have different sets of needs. And there's a lot of navigation in terms of the healthcare system and the mental health system. Uh, so we try to make that as easy as possible for, for families. Uh, and um, uh, so a lot of what I do is really kind of community-engaged research so that we can find out what are the best ways uh, to promote uh, dissemination of resources and what are the best resources that families find the most valuable. So that's a lot of what we do. It's really innovative work. There'll be a link in the show notes. I hope people check it out. But uh, Kathy, can you please let folks know about what you do at Let It Be Us? How long have you been part of this foster care world? Sure. I am the foster care licensing support coach. I'm also um, a seasoned foster parent. My husband and I have been fostering for right around 18 years now. Um, and we have fostered kiddos from newborn to, I think the oldest kiddo we fostered was 14. So we're kind of moving into more of the teenage years. Um, and we are also an adoptive family. So if you decide that you want to move forward with becoming licensed, I would be probably one you would be talking to at Let It Be Us as I help you navigate the um, licensing process. Yeah. Ooh, can I jump in to, yeah. I forgot two really important things. So our program is, uh, does qualify for um, the licensing credits, uh, okay. continuing education credits for foster parents. And while I'm not a foster parent myself, I do have a child with 
uh, complex and special uh, healthcare needs. He has Down syndrome and sensory issues and some health issues. So that that sort of complexity of of parenting uh, a child with neurodiversities and and other kinds of uh, diversities uh, is something that is also really informed my work too. Yeah, Heather. For the record, you can always jump in. Just <laughs> you know, I know you're you're a very accomplished person, and I want you to know you don't have to ask permission. Um, so, so to set expectations for people, they're going to hear us have this conversation in two parts. And for this first part, I want to just kind of give a 101. And let me qualify this by saying every kid is different. Every case is different. So I can't be 100% prescriptive here. But when we say every kid in foster care has experienced trauma, I think it's important that we define that to a certain degree. Can you help people understand what are some of the lanes or categories or some of the ways that you as professionals in this arena break down some of the responses that people can expect? I'm just looking for people to have essentially handles for what they're looking for. Well, just from a, the foster parents point of view, a lot of the kids, when they first get to your home, they're, they're scared. They, you know, it's just like their first day at school. They, they don't know what to expect or what's going to happen. And um, I think just making them at first feel secure and safe, then that's how to start out. Um, that I think when they first get there, like I said, they're just really nervous and because they've lost everything in their mind, they've lost their security and their safety because that's all they've known. So um, that's kind of what I've seen starting out. We have seen behaviors in our home and a lot of it is just learning how to de-escalate a situation, realizing that a lot of the times when they are angry, it's not directed at you. They're just angry trying to figure out what's going on in their lives. So um, there are lots of therapies and programs around to help and after hours care. I'm in central Illinois, so I don't have all the luxury of <laughs> Chicago stuff because Heather, I would love to be involved in a lot of your programs, but our kiddos are near Peoria. So, well, our program is virtual, so we oh. could definitely, yeah, we could definitely talk about that. I would love that. So, sorry. <laughs> this podcast is setting up real life meetings afterwards. Um, no, you were saying, Kevin. Oh, I just said uh, um, there's after hours care if, if the child is in crisis. Um, I know that I've had uh, families ask me before, you know, well, what do we do about behaviors or what, you know, I just don't know what to do or if it's going to be this way or that way. And you don't know what's going to happen when you get up in the morning. So are you going to lay in bed all day because you don't know what's going to happen? You can have your own child and you can have in your mind that you're going to have this beautiful blue eyed blonde little baby. And that doesn't happen. You know, you have a child who for whatever reason has severe depression or um, has ADHD and you're like, okay, I'm going to deal with it. It's my child. Well, when you open your home and welcome a child in, it's just the same thing. You don't know what's going to happen from day one. You just do what you can to help that child and reach out to your resources to get the help that they need. So let's stay here in this initial stage. And again, I am the furthest thing from a clinician. I got a theater degree from an engineering school. So if you're hearing this and you're like, I don't know if that sounds right, you're probably correct. But if 
this is a point where a child is afraid. We know that that fear might look like being timid, being withdrawn. But we also know that that fear might look like aggression and acting out. And it also might look like everything in between. The entire scope of behaviors are available because that's how humans respond to every emotion. I think we overcomplicate this conversation sometimes, Heather. What do you think about this kind of first stage as we're defining it? Yeah, I sometimes think of the three Fs, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And so um, if, like I think what Kathy said is super important, um, we have to remember everything they're coming in with and that they now have zero control. They don't know, they don't even have control over information. So they don't even know when, when am I going to see my family again? I'm going to have a weekend visit? Am I going to see them in two years? Am I ever going to see them again? They don't know. So I think two things. One is fake it in. Like just plan for something to happen. Like you said, Kathy, you don't know what it's going to be, but something's going to happen uh, during that day. Um, and then if you can label it as, oh, that's the fight, that's the flight, that's the freeze, not as a way of like labeling the kid, that's not what I mean, but sort of identifying the strategy that they're using or the response. I guess it's not even a strategy, really. It's just a response to an unknown, uh, potentially traumatic situation. And so then you can respond accordingly. So once you say, oh, okay, this is the fight right now. How do I de-escalate that fight? Or this is the freeze. How do I help them to understand that we're there for them and that um, and I think, first of all, just validating their experience is super important. Um, having empathy for them and staying calm yourself, because I think if we react to their response, that can be even more kind of destabilizing for them or, or just, you know, sort of unexpected. And then do our best to kind of respond in an expected way each time so that they start to predict like, OK, this is how this person is going to respond. Um, this environment is giving me signals that I'm safe. It's still going to take a while, um, but I think that's an important piece. And I think that other piece you mentioned, um, Ross, about um, sort of expecting to be in a certain place, you know, in some ways, one, we can come as we are, right? They need a, a supportive adult. And it might not be in the context of a full-time foster parent. You can do respite. You can do other, you can support foster families in other ways. And I think that's an important message too. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I think is really critical, or at the very least, just my sermon here, is that when we talk about you getting involved, dear listener, I want you to get involved in this community for whatever makes sense for you, because I want you involved for the long haul. I want this to be something that can be a lifelong commitment for you, depending on what the season of your life looks like at any given time. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times already. If you're listening to this podcast, I think you would make a great foster parent. My wife likes to say though, we must be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of kids who don't have any other option, whatever that means to you. Yeah, Kathy, go ahead, please. I was just going to say we had a kiddo um, that was placed with us and he felt very secure sleeping in the closet. It was a larger closet, older home, larger closet. 
And at first I was all like, oh my God, I can't let him sleep in the closet. What's the case worker going to think of the kids sleeping in the closet? Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. This episode of the podcast is made possible by the Let It Be Us Foster Care Placement Support Program. The program works with caseworkers, investigators, court-appointed special advocates, and licensed foster parents to connect licensed foster homes with waiting children and teens in foster care. Let It Be Us operates a database of licensed and open homes and also reaches additional licensed and available foster homes through targeted digital marketing tools. By joining the Let It Be Us registry of licensed and open homes, as well as following us on social media and via email, caseworkers and prospective parents will learn about agencies looking for licensed foster homes that meet the needs of a child or teen the agency is trying to place. Let It Be Us strives to create better outcomes for children in foster care, improve stability and permanency, and keep children safe and out of shelters. Learn more at letitbeus.org or via the links in today's show notes. But then I quickly realized I'm like, I knew what the situation was that he came from and what the caseworker told me. So what we did was we made him, we got a sleeping bag, we just folded it up. Um, I put a little flashlight in there, we left the door open. His bed was right there. So whenever he felt, he felt safe and secure sleeping in that closet because the the monster wouldn't get him. And I, I'm not going to go into this, but that. So I was like, fine, if that's where you want to be, I'm going to sit right here by the door until you're asleep. And I didn't move him. I left him there. He knew his bed was there. He knew I was outside the bedroom door until he went to sleep. And I think it was about a month, month and a half. And I was told that's a relatively short period of time, but you know, sitting outside a door for a month and a half was okay. But I did what I needed to do to make that child feel safe and secure in the moment Mm -hmm. until he knew he was safe and secure. Yeah. And I think giving him that control to decide for himself is really important. And, oh, that's the other piece I wanted to say too, is that I think it also depends on the the developmental level or the developmental age of the child when they come into the home. And so knowing what their sort of developmental task is, so to speak, from uh, what what is typical for um, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old in terms of identity develop, in terms of autonomy, and sorry, identity development or autonomy, and knowing that those things are going to be the same, like you said, Ross, from a human perspective. Uh, it's just that there have been additional challenges because of traumatic experiences that make some of those tasks, um, I guess, harder or more challenging in certain ways for some kids. I love that example, Kathy. It's such a beautiful example of parenting, right? And I think, you know, I did stuff like that with my kids all the time. And I think one of the surprising things to me about parenting was when we do weird things like that for our kids, it doesn't feel weird. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I bet it felt less weird to sit outside while that kid who was in your home who needed to sleep in the closet slept in the closet. I bet that all felt less weird than that child sleeping in the closet in the first place because you took the time to know that that was exactly what your child needed. And that's what essentially that's what parenting is, right? Yeah. And what I hope that everyone who's listening to this podcast 
pays attention to is that you, dear listener, already know how to do stuff like that. You wouldn't be listening to me talk if you didn't know how to love a kid like that. You just wouldn't have pressed play on this podcast if you didn't already have that in you. And I hope that if nothing else, you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered to engage with the foster care community, whatever that means to you. Yeah. And I love that idea, Ross, too, where you can actually ask the kid, like, Mm -hmm. what do you need right now? Um, And and not only um, does that signal to the child that you are interested in meeting their needs and that you're there for them, that they, it does give them some level of control and sort of finding a solution and, um, and, you know, doing that together can be really uh, informative for, for the kid in terms of um, what having some trust in them in themselves too. I hope that folks who are brand new to this conversation hear the ways in which this is accessible, right? You know, um, that often people might think, you know, oh no, this kid's going to uh, fly away, right? Like the movie version, right? Like the, the most uh, sensationalized possible. And often it's, no, the kid's going to be really quiet because yeah. the kid's really scared. Yep. And turns out, you can help the really quiet kid because my guess is dear listener, you might've been the really quiet kid yourself at some point, but I want to shift the conversation a little bit to folks who have already been foster parents. I recognize that there is, when I say that every child in foster care has trauma, that's easy for me to say as someone who currently doesn't have any children who are in the foster care system in my home right now. Because I'm not dealing with any of those challenges right now, at least not up close. And I want to start on a bit of a macro level, which is just simply to remind folks that there are resources that are available to them. Because I know that when I'm having a hard day parenting, I can get the blinders on real thick. So, uh, Kathy, to start with you, you know, what resources are available to foster parents to both just process the realities of parenting with children in their home, but also, you know, really specifically if they're dealing with a behavior or something that they're not sure how to navigate, what they, what should they be thinking about or perhaps doing? I think first, just like when, if you're even just a parent, um, I always found that like I would call, I have a very close family friend that if I needed a break, in the moment, I would say, you know, can you come over? I, I need to go for a walk, um, you know, so my husband and I could just leave the situation um, for a moment and let things just kind of calm down. The biggest thing also is, you know, know how to reach your caseworker. Um, know that there's after hour uh, hotlines that if it's that severe that you need to talk to someone right away. Um a lot of the kids have therapists or counselors. I'll make sure you know how to reach them if you need to discuss things. But I will tell you the biggest thing is just having a huge support group of friends who are in the same, um, I don't want to say boat, but basically doing the same thing or, or who have done this before, who can give you a break, who can 
let you go out for a couple hours and, you know, let you get that shower, whatever it need be to take care of yourself mentally so that you can step back and be like, okay, what can I do for the child? You know, what can I do for you? I understand, validate their feelings, let them know. And, and, and trust me, it doesn't matter if they are, if they're two or 18, there are still ways to validate how they're feeling. When they're younger, they don't understand what's going on or why they feel this way, but you can make them understand like, okay, I understand you're having something going on. None of us know what's going on, but we'll figure it out. Let's take a break. And I don't like, I don't foresee like you're going in timeout, but I'll say, let's, let's both take a timeout. Why don't you go in your room and play with something? I'm going to sit down for a minute and let's both take a timeout just so we can reconvene. That's kind of what we do. <laughs> That's really good. You know, Heather, you said earlier this phrase, fight, flight, or freeze. And I think there's a version of that that's true for foster parents. And there's this phrase that I don't love, uh, one and done, essentially implying that after you've had one foster placement, you stop. And I don't love it because it the tone of it suggests that you don't do a lot. But if you've had one placement in your home, you've actually done quite a bit for kids in foster care. But I would at least bet to go on a bit of a limb here that part of the reason why folks may only do this once is because they feel ill-equipped or not supported or something happens and they may have felt like they had X, Y, or Z figured out about the child in their home. And then all of the sudden something changed. And I know this is kind of specifically your area of expertise. So if I have a child in my home and they exhibit certain behaviors and we kind of feel like we address it, but then all of the sudden something changes. Why does that happen? Why are we all of the sudden having to figure out something new? There's a couple of different potential sort of mechanisms or pathways. So I used to work in residential care uh, and we would often see sort of like this honeymoon phase where the kid would come in, they would follow all the rules, and then there would be a certain point where they would start acting out. And um, I think there was this sort of tendency to see that acting out phase as like a change in the behavior now. Like you said, like suddenly this has developed when in fact, I think it's the opposite. These are teens. Uh, their job is to be pushing limits. And so the honeymoon phase, I would argue, is sort of the out of the sort of typical expectation. Um, the other thing is, I think we really it's helpful to really come from the perspective of what is this child trying to teach us or what is this child trying to tell us with their behavior? Um, and so it more of a, and what is it? What am I learning about myself uh, versus what is it um, that has changed that the child has, is now doing this different thing? Um, I find that really helpful because uh, it could be that, um, you know, they just don't have the language. They don't have the, they don't feel they have the permission. They might not have the vocabulary. They might not understand the complex emotional language to describe what just happened or the patterns in the household that they're reacting to. Let It Be Us, a foster care and adoption podcast is made possible by the amazing team of experts at Let It Be Us. 
Check out the show notes wherever you're listening for more information about Let It Be Us and how you can help out kids in foster care today. This podcast is dedicated to the entire foster care community of parents, professionals, and donors who are doing everything they can to help kids in foster care across Illinois. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. The theme song for this podcast is Into Silence by Made to Be. And you also heard their song, You Know a Better Way. Thank you for being one of us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.